0: In this one, I talk with Ralph Sara, the host of the Anonymous Eskimo Recovery Podcast, a show that features conversations with guests who are working through alcohol and drug addiction, many of which are indigenous people. Ralph's heritage and his past informs many of these discussions. He grew up in Bethel where he says that almost every household on his street was affected by alcoholism, including his own. That's where his relationship with alcohol started, with his own family. He says it goes back to his first memory, and his only memory of his father. The memory goes like this. He's at his dad's funeral, and his sister is holding him. He's looking down at his dad, in his coffin, and he asks his sister if he's sleeping. She tells him no, that dad went to heaven it's a vivid and heartbreaking image of how alcohol was introduced to Ralph because his dad drowned while he was drinking and the result affected his entire family. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the Crude Magazine Patreon subscribers. If you already subscribe to the Crude Magazine Patreon, thank you. For those listeners who aren't, please consider subscribing at patreon.com slash crude magazine. That's patreon.com slash crude magazine and pick the subscription tier that works for you. I want to thank everyone subscribed at the Company Man tier. These are the people who have subscribed to the Crude Patreon for $50 or more. Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, The Grind Coffee Shop in Juneau, Derek Adolf, Blue and Gold Board Shop, Sharon Liska, Alaska Surf Adventure, Aquila Space, and Northern Knives. Thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. Your money and your support make these conversations possible. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. That's buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. And if you have a chance to rate or review crude conversations on Apple Podcasts, please do. If you're looking for other Alaskan podcasts to listen to, I recommend checking out Coffee and Quack. It's a podcast that celebrates and explores contemporary Native life in urban Alaska. In it, host Alice cunny Glenn sits down with Alaska Native thinkers, doers, and changemakers to discuss issues that affect Alaska Native people, their culture, and their environments. Here's a clip from episode five, Art and Cultural Appropriation with Crystal World.
1: It's our intellectual property, our designs,
0: because we've been using them as clan crests, as our libraries, our documentation, all of our art is encoded with all of our information. You know, mm-hmm. our ancestors used this as our reading and writing. And our tools of survival are our tools of
1: identifying who someone is, who their family is, where they're from, and our relationship to that person. So they have these deeper meanings that go way back for time immemorial.
0: Okay, back to Ralph Sara. Before he got sober, Ralph said that his life was a revolving door. He would go on binges and lose everything, and then he would get sober. Sick of the revolving door, he went to residential treatment. In total, he went three times. And during the last time, he thought of doing a podcast. It would be something that would hold him accountable to his sobriety. He would have conversations with other people about their stories of addiction and sobriety, conversations that could help other people going through the same thing, understand that they're not alone. And so the Anonymous Eskimo Recovery Podcast was born. So here he is, Ralph (laughs) Sara. This red light right here, it means we're recording. Okay, fired up. Crude
1: conversations. Listen more than you
0: talk. Go to work. So, Ralph, I was thinking about how to start this episode. And I decided to go with complete honesty and let you know that the Anonymous Eskimo Recovery Podcast is currently one of my favorite podcasts. I, I honestly think it's genuinely important.
1: Oh, really? Well, yeah. I appreciate that, man. That's uh, that's huge coming from you, because you know, I posted the uh, end of the year thing, you know, from Spotify, and you are one of my my top podcasts that i listen to every morning
0: (laughs) man that's awesome it's uh when people send me that stuff i'm like that is it's just such a wild thing to think honestly um have you gotten anybody sending you those things with anonymous eskimo podcast um at the top of their list um,
1: I, I got a couple, you know, from family, of course. <laughs> <laughs> they're the they're the best supporters, right?
0: <laughs> well, you might be getting one from me soon.
1: Oh, yeah, I saw that one that you you um you put you put of the episode, my last episode, up there. So I was I appreciate that.
0: You know what's really interesting, and I guess I'm just skipping ahead in my questions here, but that episode really was just. It was so excellent. You know, you as a host are so gracious. um, And that's kind of like one of my, we were talking right before this conversation about pet peeves. That's one of my biggest pet peeves with podcasting is when the host is not a gracious host and they're constantly steamrolling their guest and not letting their guest, you know, do what they're, there to do. And you just do such an excellent job. Um, and I was like, I wonder if that's just like, if he's gotten better about it, uh, because of that, that episode that we're talking about is the most recent episode. And I went back and I've since listened to like four or five episodes. I'm like, no, he's just, he's just a gracious host. You know what
1: the funny thing is when I was first starting this podcast, I like Googled everything, like YouTubed everything. Mm-hmm. And I came across this one, Ted talk about doing interviews and it was a great one. And the guy said, the number one thing you could do is just shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that was, his exact words. Yeah, <laughs> And you know, I took that, I mean the first few episodes, of course I wanted to, you know, I was jumping on the, my, my, the people that I was interviewing mm-hmm. and I, I noticed that, um, but after watching that TED talk, I like stepped back and became an active listener. I guess
0: that's so great that you you said that. You know that you learned uh, through that TED talk. You know one of the most important things as a host is to shut the fuck up. Um, because I've been recording my conversations um, probably since uh, college you know, recording my, not my conversations, but my, my interviews. I've been recording my interviews since college. And, um, when I'm listening to them and I'm transcribing them for articles back then, one of the things that I would constantly be saying is why don't you just shut the fuck up, Cody? Why don't you just let them talk? <laughs> you know? And, yeah. and then, um, this one time I was listening to a podcast, I think it was with Errol Morris, uh, you know, like the the big documentarian and as he's talking he's being interviewed and he said that one of the most important things that he learned in the, uh, in the process of, you know, being Errol Morris, uh, you know, the documentarian is to shut the fuck up. And I was just like, this, this saying as an interviewer just keeps following me. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) And you know,
1: a good thing too, is, you know, uncomfortable silence, can bring out other things that, you know, people want to say, you know, mm-hmm. they'll be like, Oh, I need to talk. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they'll, they'll say some other things that maybe they wouldn't have said before.
0: One of my favorite things about the silence is that, and this has happened to me as well as me encountering this with other, other people is that that silence, a lot of times indicates that that person is arriving at a new thought. And, and you're discovering something brand new in that moment and so being quiet and allowing that silence and being comfortable with that silence is super important
1: yeah definitely and i have to come full disclosure i my podcasts are not live so i do edit you know long pauses out and a lot of filler words like um and and you know it, it kind of cleans things up a little bit but i leave the meat in there
0: You know, I do that as well. And I would always add that caveat in conversations just so I can be super transparent. But the longer that I've done this, the more that I've realized that I really only cut out about a minute to two minutes max. And that's just going through, uh, cutting out some pauses, maybe cutting out some stumbles either from myself or from the guest. And so altogether it's, it's, uh, it's a negligible amount that i cut out.
1: yeah, some of the most powerful moments in my podcasts are, you know, when somebody's telling you a really hard um story, you know, very emotional and they they, they like break down in it and i leave those i purposely leave those in because it is powerful even when you're listening to it, you know, those long mm-hmm. pauses when they say, you know, i'm sorry or you know, you know what i'm talking about. It's just, it's just so powerful.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it really is. Um, I feel like as interviewers and as people who, who are constantly talking to other people and are curious about other people's, uh, you know, the stuff that they're into, the stuff that we're interviewing them about, we can talk about this forever.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Just like me and music, you know, I could go on with, with music, with, uh, other people that are musicians.
0: So one of the things that I enjoy and that I admire about your show is that it's about addiction and recovery, but it also uses those things as a way to talk about identity and culture. So the addiction and recovery is an entry point. Have you encountered that? Have you noticed that?
1: well, what what my podcast that I first thought out about thought about was, you know, it was gonna keep me hold me accountable to my you know alcohol use. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, um I was I googled you know, indigenous, native, I, I used all the words, you know. Even Eskimo, like my, my name, <laughs> which is kind of bad, I guess, right now. But um, I, I used all the names, you know, Inuit, you know, w- whatever. And I could find episodes of, you know, Native people telling their stories, but I didn't find like one that was kind of focused on telling their recovery or sobriety stories. So that's why I kind of went through that.
0: You know, I don't have this question written down actually, but it just has stayed with me and I don't really have it fully formed, but I'm going to try to form it right now. <laughs> um do you think that your podcast, a podcast that talks to Alaska natives and indigenous peoples about addiction is helping to confront and combat negative stereotypes about alcoholism and um, Native Americans and Alaska Natives and other indigenous peoples around the world.
1: You know, I think that that stigma is always going to be there, not only for Native Americans or indigenous people, but for everybody, you know, everybody that's in recovery. When you think, um or you hear somebody went through treatment or or is going through treatment or is in recovery you think oh man he's he's done some bad things and you know some of us have but at the same time that stigma is still there Mm -hmm. and it still affects each and every one of us that are you know in recovery but to point towards indigenous and alaska native recovery um I kind of focused on that because there was nothing out there that was, um, you know, kind of focused on that area. And it is kind of important to our people because, um, our people have this thing where you have to be stoic and you can't tell your what you've been through, your troubles, your traumas, you can't cry. You know, you have to be the strong native person. And there's a lot of shame involved as well, you know? So when I do this, I try to show people that they're not alone. And there are a lot of people that are going through the same thing. And maybe that they can try some of these things. Each person is different on my podcast. Each story is different. There's a lot of, uh, similarities, but, um, I have people that have, uh, you know, that, that do it for their kids that that do it through religion, you know, that do it through, um, 12 step programs, anything, you know, Mm -hmm. but if they could find something to relate to, then they have some connection, you know, that maybe they could take that first step and say, you know what? Yeah. I need help. You know, where can I go? Can I talk to?
0: Have you encountered that with, with people that you've interviewed and maybe You know, I've only listened to about five episodes, so I have a lot to go, but have you encountered somebody that you've interviewed and maybe they're, they're kind of in the throes of their addiction or maybe they've gotten back into their addiction after the conversation?
1: I have, um, come across, you know, people, I interview people that have like six months or, you know, a month, I think, um was the least amount of time and that's just to show people that i'm not favoring somebody that has 29 years or something like that you know i'm trying to show people that that there's people that are are fresh start starting their recovery journey or their sobriety and um that what they're going through at the time and seeing what the difficulties are and what they're doing to work through these difficulties and i've seen i've interviewed people and I've um, noticed, you know, cause I'm friends with them on social media. Mm-hmm. I've, I've seen them, you know, oh, I fell or I relapsed. And I say this in almost all the podcast episodes is, you know, you have to, if you fall, you know, don't give up, you have to pick yourself up, dust yourself off and do it. Mm-hmm. Because I've been through that. I've, I've have had times of uh, sobriety. I've had months. I've had year, um, and then I fell. I've always got back up and and you know did it again. It's just it's just last time I have this outlet that I'm trying. You know, I'm I'm newly. I would classify myself as newly sober because uh, I'm coming up on only two years. I should shouldn't say only, but I'm coming up on two years this time around. But I've decided to you know try to help people. And that's the difference. Um I this time I went through treatment. Um, I did it for myself, and I'm doing this podcast so I can help people, you know.
0: What do you think having these conversations does to you as a host?
1: You definitely you definitely live them because when I'm listening to them, tell their stories. I can't help but, you know, get lumps in my throat or, you know, I could feel what they're going through almost, you know, Mm -hmm. and of course there's always, um, similarities to my story. You know, I could relate to what they're saying. Um, so it, it does get taxing at times for me, you know, to listen to these trauma, um, these stories of trauma and struggle because you know i i try to do it every week but um sometimes i take a break you know sometimes i I won't put an episode out for a couple couple weeks because you know i have my mental health to worry about as well you know Mm -hmm. um i was being interviewed by blaze bell last week or she was interviewing me um i was supposed to do it uh on a saturday or something like that i said But I said, you know, hey, Blaze, I can't do it because my mental health isn't up to, you know, doing this right now. And she totally understood, you know, people's lives, you still have to live your life. You know, life still happens, even though we're doing these uh, podcasts and these, um, you know, going through recovery and sobriety, life still happens.
0: I'm really happy to hear you say that because there was a point just to give you kind of a a personal anecdote here is I was writing for the Anchorage press years back, like maybe 2017, 2016. And I was writing about like crime, writing about serial killers, writing about human trafficking and being completely immersed in that stuff. You, you feel it, you know, you, you, you feel that like, that that daunting looming cloud over you constantly because that's what's swirling around in your brain Mm. and then even after that with the podcast i was doing this series still you know ongoing i haven't done an episode in a while but it's called lost anchorage uh all lowercase just kind of a, a play on words like like an anchorage like an anchor um but also you know the city of anchorage just looking into whether anchorage as a city is becoming more dangerous or more um crime ridden. And so interviews with police officers and you know professionals like that and just hearing these, like you said, these traumatic stories. And they're taxing, you know, to your mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: definitely.
0: You know, I wonder, do you have any ways of of cleansing yourself from that. When,
1: when I, when I put out the episode, you know, after I edit it cause you, you listen to the episode again and you edit it, right? So you're listening to every single word, uh, once again. And after I put out that episode, it's like, it, it lifts off of me for some reason. I'm like, and it has a congratulations. Your episode is uploaded or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it feels like. Uh, I know this is this is funny, but it, it feels like, to me, like it's lifted off for some reason, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, I, you know, I go and do s- some other things. Like when I was um, in a bad mental state last week for Blaze, I went and played music, you know? I went and um, went to my band practice. And after I play music, like I had band practice yesterday. And it's just so fun, even though we've played the songs a hundred times, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but... Just like doing hobbies that that I like, you know um I, I watch a ton of t v you know with with my fiance <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and uh and you know I write some, so just doing things like that kinda get get my mind off of you know having to relive those moments.
0: do you think that these conversations help you maintain your sobriety?
1: Oh definitely, this is my I would say this is my um, main way of holding myself accountable because if I'm putting myself out there you know to the world um, I'm expected you know to be in in a sober state like in my um, my trailer right I did at the very beginning I said if you don't hear from me you know in a couple weeks give me a call and make sure that I'm okay because I probably fell off the wagon or I said something like that. I forget. It's been so long. It's been almost a couple of years. Right. But, um, that's what I say. And a lot of people that I've talked to or I've interviewed say, you know, this is their way of holding themselves accountable is being on my podcast. You know, maybe they can listen back and and say, okay, you know, I don't want to go back to that dark place again. So definitely keeps me accountable
0: in your experience, your personal experience, as well as what you've learned through your podcasts, how much does ego play into addiction? Ego, that's a, that's
1: no, hmm. That's a hard question for me. Like ego, like towards like, um, I'm, I'm I'm having a hard time understanding that question. I'm sorry.
0: That's okay. I think <laughs> ego, the way that I understand it, is um, like I'm I got
1: this kind of thing. Like you know, I don't have a problem because I can stop anytime I want to. Kind of thing.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Oh, definitely plays a part because that's what you tell yourself at first. You know, I can stop anytime I want to. You know. I'm doing this because I like to. And at first you are because, oh man, I love that feeling of that first drink, right? Mm -hmm. Because that first drink took away all my emotions. I felt warm, you know, I felt fuzzy. I didn't have to think of um, what I was going through at the time, if it was recent or the past that I've went through, you know, instead of working Mm -hmm. through my traumas or or things that I've went through, um, I just went straight to the bottle and numbed it, you know, it was probably a four loco or a steel reserve.
0: <laughs> <laughs> With the high alcohol content. The
1: cheapest and the highest content of alcohol I could find. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that way I could have more money for more if I needed it. And I always did need it, right? <laughs> but my ego at first was uh, the driver, you know, I would, yeah. I would say I could freaking, I could quit anytime I want to, you know, but of course, I I couldn't, you know, I I needed help and that's that's what I did.
0: What did your life look like before you became sober?
1: It was a revolving door of binge drinking, getting sober, having sober time, trying to um, fix my life again, having a drink because of anything, it could have been a celebration Um, it could have been a fight that I created just so I could drink with my significant other. It could have been, you know, a death. Um, it could have been any kind of excuse for me to, to drink, I would drink. And of course I can't stop at one. Once I have one, it'll turn into a week of drinking, Mm -hmm. you know, and at the end of that, I'm, I'm shaking so bad that I need to drink to, you know, stop this shake. And stop the you know go back to some sort of uh, normalcy um, I would drink have binges ruin everything lose everything and then I would get sober and I would do it for for a little while and then I would do it all, all over again it was just a it was just a record you know going round and round doing the same thing I've lost tons of jobs um, I've worked I'm a dental assistant by the by daytime I've worked at uh, probably all the dental places here in Anchorage that you could think about, (laughs) but, uh, I've, I've lost so many jobs. I've, um, lost all my money. I've lost all my friends. At one point I've lost my family, of course, didn't want to help me anymore because I would just drink at their place. You know, I've, Mm -hmm. I've experienced home homelessness, um, not to the severe degree of, you know living out in in a a tent or something for a long period of time but i've spent days out there you know Mm -hmm. um mostly couch surfing on my sister's couch or my you know my friend's couch or something like that um i pawned all my music gear that i've had in the past (laughs) you know like thousands of thousands of uh, dollars worth of music gear just so i could drink um I've lost, um, this last DUI I had was a felony DUI and I lost, I was riding my Harley at the time. Um, This is right before my um, residential treatment that I went to this last time. Um, I've went through two other residential treatments, um, but I walked out of those. I went through um, the the Ernie Turner Center when it was by the Native Hospital here in town and then I went to the Salvation Army residential treatment center, which I don't think is open anymore. Um, but this third time was the Ernie Turner center out in Eklutna when they moved it out there. And that was the last time I went through treatment. Um, I've been through, I don't know how many outpatient treatment programs just to get my paper signed, you know, mm-hmm. having two other DUI convictions you have to go through all of that you know so my life was just a revolving door of binge drinking losing everything um getting better you know working for a little while after my few paychecks come in I have enough money to go do it again and go uh, rent a hotel room for a month or something like that and just drink to insanity you know That's what my life looked like before.
0: And what do you think was different about going to treatment this time than the others? This
1: time, I wasn't trying to show people that I was trying to do good, you know? Mm -hmm. I I wasn't doing it for myself. This time, I was so broken down. I was tired of losing things because I lost my freaking Harley, you know? (laughs) I was so freaking bummed out about that because, you know, after your felony conviction, they take that away from you, you know, and and they don't give it back. (laughs) And I spent so many hours and so much money on that, Harley, that, you know, that was my big material loss at that time. But this time I decided I'm going to do it. I'm going to try to do it for myself, you know. And I opened up to the clinician there. Her name is Bex Jacobs. She is just amazing. You know, she got me to actually talk about my past traumas and I opened up to her and I told her things that I've never told anybody. And once you do that, you, once you open the, the wounds again and let it bleed out Mm -hmm. so you can work on them, you can get these. these ways of working and dealing with your past failures, traumas, shame, everything, you know, then you can start to work on yourself and build yourself up. And that's what I did this time around. And it was during the pandemic, the pandemic hit while I was in there. And, um, that was kind of crazy in itself because it, we were just shut in, you know, nobody in, nobody out. So um, everything was on Zoom, of course. Um, even the in-person meetings we used to have, there'd be somebody in the back zooming us in the like the main part of the the hall or whatever. But um, that was the difference was just focusing on myself instead of trying to, you know, appease others' view of me or I don't know how to say that. You know what I mean?
0: You know, I think that that gets back to what what I meant by ego, you know, when, when you're doing something for your own self-esteem or even like self-importance um, and you're worried about what other people are thinking about you rather than doing it because it's good for you and it's good for your physical and your mental health.
1: Yeah, I'm a huge people... Person pleaser, or whatever you know, I I take people's view of me so personally, you know. I, I want to make sure that everybody likes me, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm that type of guy. Um, I think that's kind of changed a little bit, you know. I still want people to like me, of course, you know. Um, I I told a story in my my when I when I did my story the first episode. And I told a story about when I was in Fairbanks and I asked, I woke up in a, um, bus, uh, like a bus stop thing. And I, I asked the devil to, <laughs> this is dumb, but I asked the devil to make me famous, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, um, after that, I was trying to open a bottle and I couldn't get it open. And I asked God. God, please help me open this bottle, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so instead of asking, you know, help, help keep me warm or, or try to get me home or whatever like that, I asked him to help me open the bottle so I could take another drink. <laughs> but um, I, that ego plays a lot, you know.
0: That's actually something that I had written down, the part in that episode where you tried to sell your soul to the devil in exchange for being famous. What was going on there? Um, Was it just a drunken moment or did you really want to be famous?
1: You know, um, I was in a band called the funky Eskimos, right? With Don Reardon, who you interviewed, he was a singer. Um, And you know, there's that thing in your mind where you, everybody, I think everybody goes through this you want to become famous or you want to be one of those 1% or whatever 0.9% of people that are famous. And, you know, I was, I was still in that mindset, you know, I want to, I want to have everybody look at me and, and, and like me, you know, and of course I was drunk uh, at the time, you know, and. And that's what crazy things went in my head at that time, I guess.
0: Something that one of your guests said, and I can't remember which one. It was one of the episodes that I listened to, but they talked about it. Actually, maybe it was you talked about how you're a completely different person, a completely different person when you're drinking. And once you're not drinking, you can be yourself again. I wonder when you're sober since we're using this the situation of you selling your soul in exchange for being famous when you're sober would would you do something like that or or is that just completely ridiculous (laughs) that's completely ridiculous
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was just like you know i think that was just a thing that i remembered that that popped up in my head i don't know when i write i write stuff that just. I can think of in my head and try to explain to people, you know, how, how, if I like, if I were watching a movie or something like that, I'd, I'd explain it that way. And just to show that how crazy my mind was at the time, um, of in the throes of drinking heavily, just some ridiculous thing like that would do. But you know, what's funny is I've, I guess I've had a lot of, um, ways of trying to i don't know be famous if you would say because i've been in bands you know i've been in like medicine dream Mm -hmm. uh, which was a a popular um contemporary native band here in anchorage it was intertrap tribal um band that was based out of here but we had you know we had a record deal out of arizona and um we won a a NAMI, which is a Native American Music Award for best video of that year or something like that. So I've had some In my mind it was brushes with a little bit of fame um, but what, What's funny is starting this podcast my some of my family members were like, what what are you doing? Because I told some things, you know uh, of My personal life, you know, like why are you saying this? Why are you putting this out there? You know going back to that? You can't say this kind of stuff, right? Yeah, we're not supposed to. We gotta. We gotta keep it secret. You know. You gotta. You gotta wallow in that shame. But uh, they were saying, "What are you doing? You can't say that kind of stuff. You're just trying to get famous." You know, because <laughs> I don't know. I guess that's what people think of me. Is you know, he wants to be famous, or not? Not he's trying to help people, but you know. But oh, what can I say? I'm, I'm just. I'm just trying to do this for myself and for others right now. So, I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's almost like and I and I realize that this is not a great analogy, but it's almost like the uh the boy who cried wolf. You know, they're crying wolf, crying wolf and then all of a sudden there is a wolf. It's like, "No, no, I'm really in danger this time." So, using that as an example, it's like, you know, you're doing all this other stuff um because you were genuinely interested in it, the music, And you're like, Hey, I would like to also be famous. I'd like to do this for a living. And then now you're doing this podcast that's genuinely helping people. And from your perspective, genuinely um, putting this stuff out there to help people. And then you have the people who knew that you wanted to be famous are seeing that as another way to get famous.
1: Right, right. And that goes back to some things that we talk about as well in some episodes is, you know, once you get sober, um, people are going to s- start to think, oh, you're, you're trying to be better than others, you know, because you're sober because you got better or whatever. And now you're speaking out about in being in recovery or, or being sober. You're trying to be better than others, you know, um, which is not true. Um, what we're trying to do is just trying to, you know, recover out loud and to show people that it's possible. You don't have to live that life that you are living. You know, you could live a better life, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. You know, you've mentioned this, this cultural aspect of, of kind of bottling things up. I'm not very familiar with that. Could you, could you go more into that a little bit?
1: Well, I, I take it from my experience, you know, being a, a native male. Uh, you, you could put this out to any male, you know, you're not supposed to cry, right? Yeah. You can't show your emotions and you gotta, you gotta keep it in because there's shame involved in it. You know, you don't want other people to know your business. You don't want your family secrets to get out, you know? So I think it, it it's everywhere, you know? It's not only native people, but just speaking from my experience, I think I I push that out more.
0: Yeah, even to put myself out there, um, I think maybe I've seen my dad, not even cry, but like his his eyes like well up maybe twice in my entire life, and I'm similar. So even my wife, uh, when we were younger, and maybe she even still thinks this, but she's like, what is wrong with you? Are you a robot? Why don't you cry? (laughs) You know, I'm like, I just, you know, at a certain point, I think that you condition yourself not to do it and you find different ways to uh, maybe make it subside, you know? So if you feel it coming on, I don't know, maybe you, you look up or you blink a lot to try to you know suck those tears back in. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, totally. I, I think that it isn't just uh one culture it's all of us
1: definitely i think so too you know just like i said before it's my experience and being native at the same time you know i've seen a lot of it
0: Hmm. so you mentioned your first episode and i have some questions about that if you don't mind yeah go ahead so i listened to it and um and correct me if you think differently but I felt like it was basically an audio essay about your family and your alcoholism and how those two relate. Does that sound about right?
1: Yeah. So when I was in treatment, we uh, we were required to tell our story, right? Our, so what I decided to do was I decided to kind of tell my story and in kind of like a book form, I guess you could say is that the like the essay part you're talking about yeah yeah so um you know other people are just you know telling their kind of like a timeline right they're telling their timeline kind of how alcohol affected their lives and whatnot but my i wanted to do mine differently so i i basically wrote it like a you know like a i guess an essay or like a book or whatever and that's what i told and i got some really really good responses from people um, everybody that i that was there there's like people on zoom and whatnot and of course all my peers that were in treatment or listening to it they just like they just thought it was really good and encouraged me to write more right mm-hmm. but yeah um, starting with my earliest memory that's that's how i started and i was three when my my father passed away and i don't know if this was an imprinted memory to me from my sisters telling me this or if it was an actual memory um but anyways it it feels like a real memory right you know Mm
0: -hmm. and what is that memory
1: it was um my sister holding me at my dad's funeral, um, and seeing him in the, the casket. And I could, I could vividly like see it, you know, as I'm just thinking about her right now. And then me asking my sister, you know, is, is daddy sleeping, you know? And, um, you know, of course she says, he went to heaven or whatever, but that was my first memory. And, um, sadly the only memory that I have of my dad. So, um, I don't, just like I said, I don't know if it's an imprinted memory that they would tell me or if I actually remember it, but I started off like that just to give like a vivid, um, picture of how alcohol started in my life because he drowned when he was drunk. So, okay. um, it, alcohol started, you know, affecting me back then in that Sort, I guess I could say. I don't know how to explain it to you, but um, it didn't start when I first took a drink. It started when my dad died because he died of alcohol and it affected the whole family. So um, that's how I started it. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I went through and, and told some other stories.
0: <laughs> how much do you think his death and maybe death in general? Played into your story with alcohol. His death um,
1: definitely was a huge, huge factor because it, it it started a whole series of life events that affected me, especially with my brother because my older brother um, took it really hard when he passed away. So it affected him a lot more than me, I believe. But um, you know that. His death affected my sisters, my my brother, and my mom, and um, just life started to happen. It wasn't all bad, you know, life, of course, but it seems like I remember the bad times the the most, you know. Mm -hmm. So his death sparked all the the traumas. Well, in my mind, his death sparked all the traumas that happened to me, or set him off, I guess.
0: (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Is that one thing that you talked about at treatment?
1: Oh yeah, Yep. Yeah, that came up um, w- with the host of all all the other things, you know. <laughs> but that was one of the biggest things, definitely.
0: You know, I want to get back to these these questions about that first episode, but something that that just came to me is that, and I think you you definitely touched on this earlier, but having these conversations and i know that and i know it's done it with me many times but having them like out into the the ether of the world it it feels like very cleansing but also like therapeutic you know like you have you have purged yourself of of that thought and of that experience and Now it exists in, in the world and is out there for other people to, you know, do with it what they will. And I feel like it gets it out of your, your own head so that it's not only just you dealing with it.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely a way to kind of release that, that that, um, trauma that, that's still inside of you. I mean, it's always going to be there, but at least you're not holding it in anymore. You know, at least people can kind of relate to you and maybe they can grab something from that and use it in maybe in their sobriety journey or their recovery journey. You know, if we could, if I could help some people, um, by telling my story, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it out loud as long as I can, you know, cause that, definitely helps me
0: there's a point in that first episode where you talk about how keeping your brother from hanging himself was an ongoing thing how long did that last
1: um, it was mostly in like my junior high high school days um, yeah that was that was a big part of the end of the night thing that would happen it, it was it would always happen it um it, it happened for a while it wasn't all the time you know but it, it it was a big part of my trauma that I remember um and yeah um I don't know if he he's probably listened to you know that episode or some of my episodes but um I I forgive him you know I forgive him for all of that because I knew that losing my dad was just huge on him, and not to excuse anything that he's done, but um, I understand now that he, the trauma that he's went through, and he's dealing with it. And I don't want to call him out or anything like that. Of course, uh, that's not my what I'm trying to do, but is mm-hmm. uh, I'm just trying to tell my what affected me, you know, just like you said, to get it out there, to get, to get it out of my head. So I, I, I can deal it with it that way, I guess, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: And I guess just to add some context to his attempts, um, from my understanding from that episode would be at the end of the night, he would go down into a basement and um, set up a rope and this was always um, whenever he did do it it was at the end of the night and after a night of drinking is that correct
1: yeah there's no basement we lived in a two-room house in Buffalo. Okay. <laughs> no running water but um, there was uh, an attic opening and okay it was kind of above our refrigerator and there was like a plywood piece covering it, and when you push that plywood piece out of the way, you'd see, you know, uh, fiberglass insulation up above there, uh, kind of like an A-frame above there. Mm-hmm. And on one of the ceiling trusses out there, he would he he um, screwed in one of the those heavy-duty eye bolts, you know, mm-hmm. and that's where he would try to do it. And I remember saying in my story that I tried to freaking take that damn thing out so many times, but either I was, I was too weak to do it or he glued it in or something like that. I forget. But, um, yeah, it was always at the end of the night, like, you know, um, his, his, his drinking, he he was going through whatever he was going through and trying to, deal with it by drinking and you know at the end of the night he felt like he I I believe he felt like he didn't have anywhere else to go you know so that was his outlet his only thing that he could do and um yeah a lot of times was was me you know just hugging him pushing him away crying trying to trying to you know tell him not to do it you know so uh, but um it was always at the end of the night, and then when he went to bed or passed out or something like that, I I just, you know, it was, I would just, just stand there and just cry and watch him, you know, you know, I, there was a great line that I wrote in it, I forget what it was, it was like, uh, what did I write? I, I said, like, I would stand there watching, uh, how did it go? Watching misery with compassion or something like that, (laughs) trying to be all like a writer.
0: (laughs) Oh no, I thought it was excellently written. Um, That's why I called it an essay, because to me it was obvious that it was written and it's so much different than your other episodes, which are intro and then an interview. And so that format is just completely different than that first episode.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I first started doing the podcast, I I listened to a bunch of, you know, recovery podcasts and, um, I'm not one to go into like researching a whole lot and then just putting out information, you know, I think that would be a lot of time in my hands. (laughs) So there's these other podcasts that kind of are similar to, you know, what I do. Um, of course I do it in my way, but it's, you know what? It's almost, it's similar to an AA meeting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, AA meetings are, you know, that people will get up and tell their stories, just like this one, you know. But here, I, I, I don't only have AA members or 12-step um, members. I have everybody in every walks of life that tell how they do it and how they're um, doing their sobriety or achieving their sobriety and doing their recovery programs, you know, um, just cause I don't want to just put it into one thing and say, okay, this is the way to do it. You know, you have to do it this way or you're, you're not doing it right. You know, um, I want to show that there's so many different ways. And if there's, if there's a certain way that, that can help you live a better life, then Go for it, man.
0: I'm not sure if you'll be able to answer this because you're not your brother, but when he would wake up the next morning, what happened to those thoughts of suicide?
1: Man, that's a... I don't know. Because, uh, you know, I've, I've thought of suicide before, and I've, I've attempted suicide before, of course, when I was drinking. And... Um, The thoughts are still there you know it's just that you're sober now and you're dealing dealing with them in a with a slightly sober mind more sober mind than you were before Mm -hmm. i think that alcohol gives you that courage or that extra oomph to go in and try that and that's what's sad about it is because you're, you're i don't think you're really wanting to do it it's either a cry for help or You know, you're hurting so much that that's the only thing you think is going to solve everything, you know, but it definitely was in my mind after I tried um, committing suicide is, you know, I'm so broken that I either I keep drinking or, you know, I, I, I don't know what to do. Some people just don't know what to do, you know, and it took this long for for me to realize that you you have to break down and you have to try to accept help from other people, just like you said, put that ego down, man mm-hmm. and 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 try to try to work on it because if i if I continue drinking, then it's inevitably gonna be death, you know
0: mm-hmm.
1: but to answer your question, I think he still thought about it, right? I think he still thought about it. But um, being sober, of course, you don't want to do it, so you have more control.
0: Something that I, I really believe is that everyone can be and has the potential to be a completely different person from day to day, from week to week, from you know month to month, year to year, even from minute to minute um depending on a thought or maybe something you read and something i heard in a recent podcast i listened to about suicide is that those suicidal thoughts or suicidal ideation is a fleeting thought because when you do eventually um you know get sober or get into a different state of mind you can look at it with clarity and you know realize that there are other options there are there are ways to get better
1: yeah and when you're drunk you're just in that one way road mindset you know Mm -hmm. either either you have the the courage now to do it because you're drunk or you know you're not thinking correctly and of course just like i said you 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 have that little little bit of a silver mind after that day or that whatever night or attempt or you know you're still broken you're still broken person but um maybe you could snap out of it and try to find some help
0: did you try to find help after you attempted
1: no you <laughs> I didn't know, okay. no no I just went back to my normal life. You know, I just bottled it back in, just bottled
0: it in. And how much have you talked about it afterwards? Only to my, uh,
1: clinician (laughs) and, the and you know, my fiance now, my fiance that I've, that we've been together for over off and on for over 20 years. (laughs) We have two children together, you know, so we talk about everything, but, um, Nobody else except for my clinician.
0: Well, you mention it in at least one of your episodes.
1: Yeah, now everybody
0: knows, right? And how does that feel?
1: Um, it, it, it feels like I let uh, some of that pressure out. You know what I mean? Like a kind of a weight's gone. A little bit of weight, you know. Um, I'm trying to write a book right now, and man, that's writing a book is hard.
0: <laughs> yeah, writing is one of the most difficult things ever.
1: <laughs> oh, man. So so um, I, I feel like every time I I put something on there, a little bit of weight gets lifted up. You know, not saying I'm going to be cured from everything, you know, but I think it helps. It's therapeutic in a way. You know what I mean?
0: I don't know if you do this, but I do this. um I do it less now, but I used to do it pretty often where I would see a friend or a loved one really kind of going through it and them, in my opinion, needing to kind of exercise those, those emotions in a healthy way. And I would always, uh, suggest like, Hey, write it down or Hey, record it with audio. And those are just me things. Those are things that have really helped me out, um, Do you find yourself in situations where you're, you're suggesting ways to get healthier, but they're the ways that helped you get healthier?
1: Yeah. Like write music, (laughs) you know, put your, (laughs) put your emotions into your music stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like try to offer different perspectives on how I did it, you know, that, you know, that's how the podcast is too, you know, just offering different ways of, of how other people achieve sobriety or recovery. But I definitely try to put my two cents in on how, what, what helped me, you know, or, or how I did things.
0: <laughs> what I've realized, and this is something that, you know, we're told from like such a young age, but like so many different things, you really realize it once you get older, you're like, Oh, okay. That was, you know, I had to arrive, arrive at that on my own. And that is don't try to offer advice right off the bat. Just listen to them because that's what so many people need in those moments is, is kind of an open ear rather than, Hey, I know what can help you.
1: Yeah. I, there was an episode, um, where I asked, I think it was, who was it Justin? I forget but anyway I asked what would you know one of my questions is what would you say to someone who is you know s- struggling with uh, alcohol or addiction or I think I asked what what do you what would you say to someone who is thinking about you know suicide and and their response blew me away because I never thought of it, it was just Don't say anything, you know listen because mm-hmm. maybe they have to get something off of their chest, you know like wh- don't try to put push something onto them and say, hey, you, you got to do this or you got to do that, you know. Just open an ear so they can, you know, vent or, you know, cry even, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't think of that. I've never thought of that before, you know. And then I learned all these things from listening to all these interview interviews uh, I, I wouldn't have thought before, you know, just to... Sit there and listen, you know? Something that's that's so easy but is so necessary some of the times.
0: There's been so many moments where I um I feel like and this will get kind of woo-woo for a second for me, um, but that I was like pushed into doing this and having conversations with people and listening to different perspectives because it it helps you you understand different people different cultures different perspectives and I wouldn't have been able to come to that realization without having conversations like the ones that I do on the podcast so it feels like almost almost like an outside force you know pushing you if you're receptive to these things and you're kind of telling the universe like hey I, I want to be more understanding I want to be better and you're open like that you do get pushed into these situations where you can become a better person
1: yeah it's like that saying if you want to become a good writer you read Mm -hmm. as many books as you can yeah you know we're we're essentially storytellers you know people that write and and the way to tell Better stories is to listen to other people tell stories, you know, and get their perspective and learn things that you've never learned before. You know, doing this podcast, I've I've come across so many things. I go, wow, you know, I've never thought of that before, and th- that broadens my perspective. It it broadens the way I look at things now, and maybe um, I can view things in a in a better or a different eye than I was before where I was just straightforward, you know, in blinders. Mm -hmm. Um, I was part of a cohort with the Humanities Forum and um, at one point I was interviewing a transgender person and I was, you know, kind of um, running it by like what kind of stuff can I ask and stuff like that and they told me, you know, don't even ask about that, don't even Bring that up, you know. Let them tell you. Let them tell you their story, or let them um, talk about what they want to talk about. Don't bring that up, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Of course, when I'm when I'm thinking of it, I'm I'm thinking of you know what what kind of questions can I ask you know them um, to bring it up or whatever. Yeah. You mean like
0: safely ask or? to not maybe ask a leading question.
1: Yeah, I mean, well I have leading questions is is funny because I've I've never heard of that until I heard um um Alice Glenn's podcast. She was talking about how she she sits down and think of thinks of questions so she doesn't lead uh, her interviewees into, you know, talking about stuff like that and I've never thought of that. Uh, You know, uh, all I do is just think about questions I've never, you know, dissected what I could ask, you know, so that's new to me too. I mean, I'm learning all the time, but yeah, definitely listening to other people's broadens, definitely broadens my perspective, of course.
0: In my opinion, like if you want to talk to somebody about something specific in their life, Chances are they're going to bring it up because that is what the interview is about, or at least in part of what it's about, or it's an element of what the interview is about, or it's an element of who they are as a person. And so if you ask them a personal question like, you know, can you tell me about your childhood? I think that 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 thing that maybe you're looking for or looking to address will pop up in its own way and then you can go down that line of questioning
1: oh yeah okay I see what you're saying yeah definitely I've never really thought of questions like that uh, uh, like I'm new to this <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty new to this you know <laughs> so I'm still learning a whole lot of things about you know media and questions and just even being a part of that cohort with the humanities forum was eye-opening for me you know um, so it's it's funny because I I feel this imposter syndrome like almost every time I <laughs> I do a podcast because like how how what gives me the the know how or the right or or the even you know just to do it what gives me um, the okay to go ahead and do this because I've never done it before
0: you know and I think the more that you you research maybe these these successful people or these kind of perceived successful people at these jobs, maybe a podcaster or, um, you know, an interviewer. Once you look into them, um, chances are they had imposter syndrome because maybe they wanted to be like Johnny Carson. And they're like, why can't be Johnny Carson? Well, Johnny Carson wasn't Johnny Carson before he was Johnny Carson, you know? So, yeah, (laughs) I mean, somebody is always on deck in my opinion. So, um, the people doing it right now at the highest level, those people are going to retire at some point, And somebody has to be on deck. And in my opinion, that's, you know, people like yourself, you know, people that are doing it out of this, this personal responsibility to the subject and you're doing it in a genuine way and you're doing it right now for, um, you know, you're not making a living off of this. I'm not making a living off of this. I'm doing it because I I really believe in the importance of it.
1: Yeah, right now, <laughs> wouldn't it be awesome to make <laughs> a living? <laughs> you know, and I've thought of that. I I, I thought of this just recently because one of my interviews like, "What can I do to help you? Do you need a sponsor or anything like?" Was like, "sponsor." <laughs> you know, I've never thought of that. <laughs> I was like, you know. I'll share the link maybe, <laughs> but oh my gosh. Um, after she uh, mentioned that, I was like, Man, hey, sponsorship, you know, because um, it does cost money to put this podcast out there through uh, Buzzsprout. I use Buzzsprout and I think it's, I don't know, uh, like 30 bucks a month or something like that. But, um, but that got me thinking, wouldn't it be nice to, you know, try to find some, sponsorship or something i don't know but uh that was not in my mind when i first started it out of course (laughs) you know it was just uh i was freshly sober and i needed something to you know help me stay sober you know Mm -hmm. and and man maybe maybe i could help people at the same time so yeah
0: and i think that that's why your podcast is connecting with so many people um including myself because you can see how authentic it is right like there's things out in the world that we're all aware of that we look at and we're like gosh that is so phony you know and that thing was made with the with the purpose of being a piece of capitalism rather than coming from someone's heart
1: mm, mm-hmm. yeah Definitely.
0: Okay. So I have a few more questions for you. Yeah. Shoot. So in one of your episodes, you mentioned how, when you were younger, you were ashamed of your culture and you mentioned it earlier in this podcast as well. Could you walk me through that?
1: Yeah. So there's this shame that I had, the stigma that native people, right? Native people, um you know growing up where i'm from where they were always drunk and they were always dirty or poor right so i had friends like don and you know a lot of other friends that i've had that i i lived in a like i said two-room house with no running water um i would look in the uh, we had we have honey buckets right so It's very humbling to look at your shit and other people's (laughs) shit in the house (laughs) and, 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 uh, um, you know, wash your hands in this gray water that other people have been washing their hands in through the day as well, you know, just to conserve water, stuff like that. I was so ashamed of that. I wouldn't dare bring, like, a girl over to my little house that I thought was just so... Terrible, and there's a part that I'm writing now that I describe this house um, in detail right mm-hmm. and um, I at that time you know growing up you're you don't want to show people you know the the poverty that you lived that you live in because that's not the cool thing or, or you know the, the thing that uh, people look up to or aspire to you know so at that time I was thinking, you know, I don't want to be native because the stigma was getting to me. I wanted to be a white person, so I am um, a quarter white. So I would always proudly say, oh, I'm a a quarter Norwegian, right? (laughs) And and be ashamed of that three-quarter Yupik part of me for the longest time growing up, you know. Uh, it it's not until my adulthood that I really grasped onto how powerful my culture is and how powerful my identity is, you know, and just to be proud of being, um, Alaska native and Yupik is something to uplift me and, and show other people that, you know, you, you, I too was ashamed when I was growing up of being native just because of that stigma, other people were putting upon me, you know, so that b- brought up some stuff too that I felt I needed to put out there as well. Um, that I was going through um, living in this two room house in mission road, which is a road that uh, I could count. Almost every single house was affected by alcoholism in one way or another. Like my next door neighbors, almost the whole family either died by a suicide or alcohol related deaths, you know, it was just traumatic to me, uh, growing up to seeing all of this, that wasn't my norm, you know, and I didn't want to bring anybody over any of my friends or anything like that. I would escape to their houses. (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. just to get away from that area and because I was ashamed of it, you know. um, I guess that kind of shaped me to who I am. Um, But it gives me a perspective now that I could show other people that being Indigenous and being Native is not something to be ashamed of. You can put this, you could bring it forth and be so proud of it and uplift others you know
0: you mentioned that you were an adult when you started to better understand the importance and embrace your culture was there a moment where you started to do that
1: medicine dream had a big part of that um because, um, like I mentioned, I was in an intertribal group called Medicine Dream, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a story when I was young, I don't know, this is my woo-woo moment, I guess I could say when i was when I was young i I would have these recurring dreams of um you know, hearing like on TV, you know, like a cowboy or like a Western or whatever, you'd hear the the drums, you know, and the, like the oh no, the Indians are coming, you know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and so I would at at that time it was like a almost like a nightmare for me. You know, I'd be like, "Oh no, they're coming. They're coming to get us or whatever." But um it's funny because later in life I joined a group with um a bunch of other indigenous people, you know, <laughs> Indians as well, right? And um I don't know if that that's the correct term. I I'm I'm really bad at this, you know, Eskimos and Indians kind of thing, because I grew up calling myself that, You're right? Mm-hmm. That's another, that's a whole other thing. But um, I just, I just went off track. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> no, you're good. You're
1: good. But um, what was I, what was I thinking about? I'm sorry.
0: The point where you. Oh, the point embrace where. Embrace your culture. Right, right. Yeah. It was
1: because of, it was it had a big deal to, um, with Medicine Dream, because in Medicine Dream, you know, we wore our regalia and we we were proud to play this type of music for everybody. You know, um, we were under a um, indigenous record company called Canyon Records and, you know, we wore it on our sleeves so everybody could see. And you know what the funny thing is, that band was a sober band as well. We never played anywhere. Or alcohol was served so if we played like at the Anchorage Museum they would have to stop serving alcohol while we played that was like a stipulation um, and you know at there during that time I was in medicine dream I was sober and then you know of course I fell off here and there and they knew that too <laughs> but being in that band really opened my eyes up um, to being proud of who you are you know and paul pike who is so awesome he is like a he was the founder and the main um person of that band um he wrote a lot of the music he wrote all the music basically and um And he was someone that I could look up to and he really helped me open my eyes up to how culture is so important to everybody, you know, and he was, he was a visitor from Newfoundland. He's since moved back to Newfoundland, but he was a visitor up here and even being up here, he showed everybody that, you know, how important our culture is. So I, I think that had a big part of me opening my eyes up to how important
0: my culture was and what kinds of things was he doing that that helped you open your eyes to that he was the type of person that would
1: you know he was learning his language and practicing the not not only visually doing it but he was you know doing everything practicing it you know he had a sweat lodge in his in the back in his backyard you know it mm-hmm. was he was, he was he just showed me that you don't have to be ashamed to be, you know, native or indigenous, you know, because there's a lot of freaking powerful people and awesome people that are out there that are indigenous and native. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I had a thought, but then it it, it left me. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we seem to ha- I seem to have, it's weird being on the other end, huh?
0: it is and i think that uh the more the more that i've done it i've gotten more used to it but i'm not completely used to it because you spend so much time um you know helping to craft yourself and learn how to be a better interviewer and so to be on the other side it kind of goes against every single thing that you pound into your head
1: like i'm i'm just like thinking to myself, Oh man, I'm just like taking this off into a different area and tangent and I'm just like rambling and I could see how people can get flustered, you know, being on the, on this end.
0: You know, one thing that I will share with you since we both have interviewed Emma Hill is that I had a whole line of questioning for Emma and our episode turn into something completely different you know it turned into us talking about her sobriety and that happens i wouldn't say it happens like super often during the conversations that i have but i think that that one is such a shining moment of it turning into something that i just was not expecting because of the different tangents that we went on so i i really appreciate and love tangents yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I seem to drive myself into the, those areas a lot, with because <laughs> I've noticed I, I did that with Blaze, and I was like, "Where am I going? What was the question again?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh man.
0: <clears throat> okay, so you're a musician, and I was wondering what you think of playing this episode out with one of your songs.
1: Um, I would love that. I just recently recorded a song that I could send to you. I don't know how, how am I going to send that to you? I would love to do that. Um, you know, I received the, um, Rasmussen foundation award. So, um, I was granted, um, some money so I could purchase gear. And I've been learning how to use this recording gear and I recorded a song on there that I'd love to send to you and see what you think. Um, but, um, I would love, love it to, you know, if you would do that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I would love to do it. So let's plan on it.
1: Okay. I'll send it to you. I I don't know how though (laughs) email.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Email. We'll figure it out after this. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Ralph, that does it for my questions. You know, this is, this was such a good conversation. Um, thanks for taking the time to chat with me on a Saturday. <laughs> um, do you have anything else you'd like to add?
1: No, I really appreciate. I, I was like kind of in awe if, when you asked me to be on your show because I listened to your show. And um, I really appreciate what you do. And I know how hard it is, you know, (laughs) it's hard for me to do this editing and, and doing all this. And, um, I really appreciate what you do. Um, but yeah, thank you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that. And again, thank you for all the work you do on the anonymous Eskimo recovery podcast. I again, think that it is something really special.
1: What do you think of that name? Does it offend you?
0: No, no. I, I don't know if if I uh, am the person that if it offended would offend.
1: Okay. You know, the funny thing with that name is um, I, I have asked people to be on my podcast and they would absolutely not because of that name. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because of the word Eskimo in it. <laughs>
0: Do you know why?
1: Um, because it's a you know now nowadays it's a bad thing. It's a bad word. You know, it's like being called savage, I guess. You know, but when I was growing up, I was proudly a Yupik Eskimo. You know, um, but um, that's just how how we referred to ourselves is you know Yupik Eskimo. Um, but you know, just like as as you know, as I brought up before, as I was in a band called the Funky Eskimos. So that kind of stuck with me with the Eskimo thing theme, you know, and maybe nowadays I look at it as uh, grabbing people's attention, you know, maybe I could use it like that. Like, who's this guy calling himself an Eskimo, you know, and, um, but yeah, I've had people refuse because of the name. Um, I guess it's not politically correct.
0: (laughs) What's been your response? Uh,
1: you know, like I, like, I kind of outlined it in my, my trailer is like, I grew up calling myself Yippec Eskimo, you know, it wasn't a bad thing um, in my area and the time I was growing up and, you know, of course I was in a band called the Funky Eskimos, but I've kind of morphed it into like, maybe it'll grab some attention. Like the anonymous part is obviously anonymous, you know, AA, Alcoholics Anonymous but yeah. you know in in their view you're supposed to remain anonymous and that's kind of my humor is like oh I'm the I even have like a black outline on the cover of my eyes like mm-hmm. you're supposed to be anonymous like you can't tell who I am but I have my name on the bottom right <laughs> yeah so that's like my my crude humor I guess you could say but the Eskimo part was you know at at first it was an honest um play on the funky Eskimos, I guess you could say. And, and that's how I, um, identified was being a Eskimo. So
0: do the elders that, you know, do they use that word Eskimo?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Everybody that I knew growing up.
0: And are these people that won't be on the podcast because you use that word? Are they younger or older?
1: most of them are younger and from Canada. Oh, okay. That's a really bad really bad word in Canada. But I've had um people from Canada on my podcast of course, you know. So, I guess there's both both ways of looking at it, you know, I'm doing something that is helping people or they won't even think about it because of the <laughs> because of the word or my title. But yeah. See, this is a tangent, huh?
0: <laughs> no, this is great because what I was going to tell you is that back in Anchorage when I first started Crude there were a number of people within the journalism industry there who told me to change the name. Really. Because yeah, because people um maybe that weren't familiar with with it, it wouldn't grab their attention because they They would think it's about oil or that it is, you know, crude. It's brash. Oh yeah. And so they wouldn't, they wouldn't gravitate toward it. And I mean, being the stubborn person that I am, I'm just like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And I stuck with it and you know, so far it's worked.
1: Yeah. I've had people say, you know, you should uh, change it to indigenous or whatever like that. And I'm like, you know, I already started it. (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't want. To, I don't want to rebrand or whatever you call it. You know, maybe you could start your own podcast and call it whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I guess I'm just being an a-hole right now, but <laughs> you can support this podcast at Patreon.com/slash Crude Magazine. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at. BuymeACoffee.com slash crude magazine. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Crude Theme Music is produced by Alcoda Beats. Outro music is courtesy of Ralph Sara. I'm leaving.